Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. The term legal coach started about 10 years ago when I kind of switched the way we deliver legal services. I've been a lawyer for 26 years um, and we just spend all our time getting people out of trouble. And so I changed my focus in 2012 and wanted to start helping entrepreneurs stay out of trouble, build businesses that are what we call shatterproof so that they don't have big problems that are real expensive to fix, but we have smaller problems that we can keep running our business and not get uh, running. And you do a subscription-based platform, right? Exactly. Yeah, we have an on-demand legal services for pretty much wherever you are in small business so that you have a fixed monthly fee and you know you have access to legal uh, services and information whenever that pops up and not to worry about money flying out of your pocket when you're getting billed by the hour. Gotcha. Well, I mean, I mean, walk us through why. I mean, have you always had a, a want to jump into the legal space like growing up? No, not really. Um, I wanted to be in advertising. I uh, got a marketing degree uh, from Southwest Baptist in 91, got out and started trying to get marketing jobs, and they wanted me to sell copiers. And so I started selling stuff, uh, tried life insurance, sold, sold uh, phones for a big telecom company, and they, uh, they breached my contract. And I did what any normal person would do. I decided to go to law school. It was misdates me, right? But this was 1992. And the economy was not good. Uh, so it really made sense for me to kind of go back to school and retool. Um, and so I took that opportunity. I was married. My wife's a teacher, so she could you know, kind of pay our bills. And so I took three years, went to University of Oklahoma, and uh, got a law degree. And best decision I ever made. So at that time, you were married, and you were you the, the breadwinner? Or were you guys both like... <laughs> We were both working, but uh, if anyone is a teacher or is married to a teacher, they, they don't make much bread. Um, and back in the early 90s, they really didn't. Uh, so I was the primary bread earner, but we knew that for a short term, we could really tighten our belts. I mean, like sold the car, did all those things, got our, you know, got it where it was a really small commitment every month. And uh, we were able to make it for three years to get to a place where we could have a higher earning capacity. And it worked out great. So, uh, so I'm I'm half Hispanic, and I have a lot of relatives that had the machismo kind of thing, where it's like I have to do this, I have to kind of run the ship. Was there anything like that where you're basically now having to rely on your wife, even though you know there's a future growth of it, and you're gonna, I mean, make up the tenfold? But was there ever a kind of a moment where it's just like I can't do this, I need to be the one that's actually making money? There were a few times. Uh, where I would feel a little bit of pressure internally, never from her. Uh, and I would, so I would take part-time jobs in law firms and things. And then that would be too much because law school is really a full-time job. And so then I would back back off. And I mean, looking back on it, um, I mean, it was a great three years. Uh, we had limited resources, but we had a great time. I mean, being in school, uh, is so much better than work. I mean, I would go to class, study a little bit, eat lunch, go play basketball with the guys, come back, study a little more, uh, make sure that all the supper's on the table. It was, um, yeah, it, it was pretty great. 
And my wife was great because she she didn't mind working. Um, and it, yeah, so it wasn't a big deal, but I did a few times feel that pressure to like, uh, don't I need to be contributing? Now you you graduate from law school. Kind of what happens next? Yeah, so I graduated from law school and I wanted to litigate. I thought that being in trial would be a lot of fun. Uh, and there's some truth to that. Uh, you just never get there. Um, the big, the, the truth is that if, if trial work is you do a lot of depositions, a lot of settlement conferences, and you almost never get in the courtroom because there's way too much risk in the courtroom. So no one wants to go there. And so you end up just spending all your time on phone conferences, uh, building people by the minute. And I, I didn't feel like I was helping people. And so for the first few years, I just kind of did what I had to do. And then I started finding different areas of law where I was still doing litigation, but I was being a little more helpful than being on a Fortune 500 uh, legal defense case where no one even knew I existed. I was talking to engineers about things I didn't understand. And so I started in the uh, early 2000s kind of focusing more on you know, how can I help uh, small business owners? How can we help real estate professionals, investors? And things kind of started to shift. For me. You're under someone else's flag at that time. I mean, was there, when was the moment that you go, you know what, there has to be a better way, right? Where I have to, and my company's going to be not allowing us to do it. I need to kind of yeah. start this on my own. Yeah, I, and I thought that pretty pretty early, uh, but didn't have, but was was enough risk averse that I just didn't take the leap. Um, if I had a regret, it would be that I didn't do it sooner. That I should have done this sooner. But in two thousand five, I was in a partnership that was uh, bad. Uh, there was some money issues. I wasn't getting what I was supposed to be getting. And I kind of didn't have a choice. And so I got forced to, to do the move. Uh, the, the capital came in at the right time. I was able to launch out on my own in uh, February of 2005 and then just never looked back. It, uh, it's really hard to believe I've been doing this 17 years uh, on my own, uh, but I'm pretty sure I'm unemployable at this point. When you, when you say the, the capital came through, I mean, was that an outside source or was it something that you were kind of building up or? Uh, no, I have a lot of legal work can be done on contingency fees. And I had a couple of things that came through at, at that time where it was large sums of money that enabled me to have uh, the reserves I needed to get through the first few months. Uh, because when you're, if you're doing legal work by the hour, you have to do the work then bill for the work to, and, and so it takes a little time to build up cash flow. And so I needed to have some capital reserves for sure to, to make it through that first 90 days. And I was very fortunate because I had, in that old partnership, I had transitioned a little way from just the trial work. I had started setting up companies again. I even was doing some uh, family law, uh, divorce and child custody stuff. And I'd been doing that for about a year and a half. And so when I jumped, a bunch of that came with me. And then those people started having new legal opportunities. And so I was very, I was busy very quickly. Usually when you say there's a, a partnership there, usually when there's a partnership, you have one person doing one part of bringing one thing into the game, other one doing something. And with your background in sales, it doesn't seem like you'd be the one that would be, need the, 
uh, getting the business. So what was, what was that partner, I guess, bringing to you and what did you have to learn how to do on your own? Well, the, in that partnership, uh, the, the guy had his own, he had his own, had his firm for a few years. He asked me to come over and take over the trial section of the firm because he didn't want to be in court. Uh, and so it did get me in the courtroom a little more, uh, which that was fun. Uh, I only had access in that partnership to one side of the numbers. I knew all of the sales numbers. I tracked everything. Uh, I was, um, I probably, I was probably did 98% of the new client appointments, signed them up and then worked, worked all those cases. So I knew that side, but I had a lot of struggle of trying to see, Hey, I need to see the other side. I want to see the books and money, which <laughs> we would have money. And then suddenly there was no money and there was never an explanation. Uh, and so it just, uh, I just had to, to make a move to get away from that so that I could have stability. Was there anything that, that you, you lost or that you had to learn, I guess, when you went on your own that you basically weren't privy to, or maybe just wasn't in your, your, uh, your daily routine. Oh yeah. One of the things I, I learned is that you, you have to build your clients. Um, I went 90 days because I, I guess because I had that reserve, I worked 90 days. I mean, I, I'm t- we opened the door, I was doing boxes and we were, we were working. Uh, one of my paralegals came with me and we, we were busy. And so for, I worked for 90 days and then I suddenly realized I haven't built anyone and I didn't have a building system. Oh, wow. So one of my, my best friend came up to the office with me and we worked all night. Like we left the next, that six 30 in the morning the next day. And we built spreadsheets in Excel uh, to bill about 100 clients. And I was like, okay, I can't do that anymore. So I need a billing system. So I had to buy software, uh, paid a consultant to come in and train some part-time employees to how to run the billing system. I just, I hadn't thought about that. Now you're growing the business. You're kind of uh, expanding. I mean, what are the, the, if you're looking back on it, to get to this point, I mean, what have been some of the biggest hurdles you've had to work through? Uh, pro- probably people is probably the biggest hurdle I've had. Um, fi- finding good people is hard. Um, keeping them is hard too. And then knowing um, knowing what their capacity is and not overloading them. Uh, what I have had, I had to learn that everyone doesn't work like I do. Um, I, I work, I'm a driver and I work very hard. Um, I don't always work, but when I work, I work hard and I'll crank out a lot of work in a, in a certain, in, in a few hours. Um, and I don't, I may also work odd hours and some people aren't willing to do that. And I've had to kind of change my expectations and find ways to work around, um, the way that other people work. And that was something I, I, I kind of thought everyone was just like me and, hey, here's the job. You do what it takes to get the job done. And uh, there's nothing further from the truth. So how do you how do you learn? Was it just trial and error? Did you have a coach or what happened there? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it was a lot of trial and error for a while, um, but I did hire my first business coach in 2012 and I've had and I've pretty much always had a coach since then. Uh to help me with whatever the problem of the moment is the um, one of them was how to, how to, how to hire, how to train, how to discipline, how to manage, 
I didn't really know. I didn't have that skill. They don't teach you those skills in law school. And so I had to kind of, I had to learn those skills and a coach helped me do that. Uh, it was the same coach that helped me uh, build out my subscription. Legal Has your, your onboarding process, your hiring process changed from when you first started that like you can kind of look at, this is how we do it now. Yeah, it's very, uh, very systematized. Um, I read the E-Myth, I guess in 2008, and that really got my mind going differently. Um, every lawyer should read it. They don't because they don't consider themselves to be in business. But it really changed how I saw my law firm. Uh, and I want, I really wanted it to become something that, was, that could be replicated uh, over and over if I chose to do that. And so we started building things like, uh, you know, interview, you know, interview scripts from the first phone call interview, from a group interview to a phone call to an in-person, all of that is scripted. And then using, even using automation to, for them to schedule the appointments, do whatever task it is I wanted them to do. And so you, all of that is very systematized, including, you know, personality profile type stuff so that. It makes it makes hiring a lot easier because it's a smooth system. The hard part for me is is knowing is trying to make the evaluation once they're in. Did I make the right decision? Uh, I've found that the faster you make that decision, you, you have to be slow slow through that hiring process, but you're still not going to get them all right. And so when you discover it's the wrong person, you've got to move them out quickly. Because if you don't, uh, you become attached. They're like puppies and you become attached. And then it's very hard to let them go. And so you'll, what my experience has been in, in working with clients also is that they, you move them around your business. And so you keep putting them in different seats, trying to find the right seat for them when it wasn't a good fit in the per first place. It's just not, you know, it wasn't a good culture fit. You got to, you have to know your core values, your mission statement. You have to hire to those. And sometimes people will put on a good show in an interview and they can trick you, uh, but they get in and uh, it's not a good fit. As soon as you realize that you have to move them out. So there it sounds like there's a point in time that you would find someone that you thought was good talent. And then over time, just try to figure out where you can put them in your business. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's a difference between good talent and good people. Um, you can't just hire good people because that they can't, they can't do what you need them to do. And that can be very frustrating for them and they can waste a lot of their time. And so if you're doing them a disservice, so you have to find good people that have the skill sets that you need, or at least the, uh, the ability to, to learn those sets. And so that's a little harder, but yeah, my what I figured out was that if you hire the wrong people and keep them, even when you realize it, eventually they figure it out and they'll exit and it won't be at a time that's convenient for you. Well, well talking about being convenient, I, I know we talked about it before we got, got on mic was the idea of that you basically had your, your business lost twice, right? One time was the last time, I guess, was when you were going on a cruise you lost all your people. Um, can you yeah. walk us through that moment? Yeah, and, it's, and there were two very, two very rapid fire events. In, uh, in June, well, in May of 2014, 
I took my family to California. I had two boys at the time. One was in sixth grade and one was in third grade. And we went to California for a week. And we were halfway through that trip. We're, I mean, I'm standing in line at Universal Studios. And I had done a really good job of not looking at my phone for three days. Which if you're a business owner out there, you know that's hard. And so I didn't look at my phone, but we had some time to kill, but we were waiting to do something else. And I thought, oh, I'll check in. So I checked my email. Uh, it was glad that I did because I had an email from uh, one of the senior lawyers that worked for me with the resignation. Attached to it was a re resignation of um, the paralegal and then also a list of all the files that he was taking. <laughs> huh, yeah. And so you're like, okay, now what do I do? Um, that was a Sunday on Monday morning. I tried to call the office. Uh, I had a young receptionist. When I didn't get a hold of her before she got there and I didn't have her cell number. That's something else is make sure you have all the contact numbers for all your people in a way you can get to it from anywhere in the world. Uh, she got scared when no one showed up and she left. So I had nobody at the office. Uh, so I called my best friend, had him go change the locks for me. He changed the locks. And then I got online and found uh, a virtual receptionist company that I could connect. And so I got that set up and then I decided that I was going to stay and finish my vacation uh, be, and then come back and figure out what was left. So I walked back in uh, four days after that had happened and I'm in my 2,500 square foot office building and it's just me. Everyone's gone. Three months before that, I had eight employees. And it had, in that three months, only only one of those people did I, did, did they leave with me with a plan? Uh, everyone else left on their own plan. And I was suddenly, I had all this work to do and no one to do it. So I had to figure out how to hire again. And this is when I was working with a coach. So we put together the systems and started hiring. And so I built back up and I had, I had hired a full-time paralegal and I had two part-time uh, people. And so this was September. Uh, in December, I was supposed to go on this big cruise. Uh, my parents were taking my whole family on a cruise, which was great. Um, and the week, the week that I was going to be leaving for that cruise, uh, the paralegal comes in and says, hey, I just got a job offer from someone that uh, I'd interviewed with last summer. And it's just the perfect job for me. And I, I need to take it. And she was probably right. She probably didn't have the skill set. She, she, she was right. Her skill set was better for that than what I was trying to have her do. But I was, I was kind of desperate at the time. And so I put someone in a seat that they really weren't capable of doing at a high level. Well, the next day, uh, one of the other part-timers comes in uh, and resigns. And then, I, and, then the, and I had to let the other one go for insubordination in front of a group of people where I was running an event. So again, I'm down to no employees. So I go on my cruise and then come back. And uh, now and it was a Christmas cruise. So I come back uh, New Year's Eve and uh, start running ads again to, to hire. And made this some really, I, I decided to go really slow and hired very slowly over time. And it, uh, and the, one of the people that I brought on board is still with me. Uh, and everyone that I've brought on board has filled a specific need in the company at that time. Some of them have grown to do other things. 
but they could they could do what I needed them to do at that moment. Uh, and so we've we've done a lot better at having the right people in the right seats. And we were very lean. I use a lot of uh, contract and virtual workers so that our footprint's pretty lean, but hiring has become much easier. <laughs> How long after that second cruise did it take you to take another cruise? Uh, I went back, I guess four years later, we did another cruise. My son graduated, from, graduated and there was a senior cruise and everything went fine. And I've been on several days. I still go on vacations. Um, it's always kind of a joke during the vacation is everyone going to leave. Um, but um, we, but we still, still go. And yeah, I guess there's always that risk. Um, I, if you hire high integrity people, it's, there's less risk of that. And so that's one of our core values. And one of the things that you, that I really probe on is that is integrity and loyalty because those people may leave you, but they won't leave you the wrong way. I think that's huge. That's I've had that happen to me before. So that's yeah, for sure. Huge. What, I mean, now I know probably in the moment it wasn't like that, but it seems like, I mean, the first group of people that left, right. You still stayed on the cruise for another couple of days, still enjoyed your vacation. You go on the second cruise, even though all this kind of happened again, are you a really relaxed person? Are you good at hiding it? Do you have an avenue that basically allows you to kind of get that frustration out to enjoy your time with your family? I mean, what's the, what's the secret sauce? Yeah. I've, I think I learned very uh, early on how to compartmentalize. And so I don't, I don't bring work home. Uh, legal work can be very stressful. I don't, I've, I've never brought that home. And so when it, when running the business is stressful, the same thing, I don't, I, I walk out and it, it will be here the next day. Um, the problems, they'll still be there the next day. Very few things are life or death. You know, an emergency for me is it's going to affect your life or your, or your property. And there's very few things where I'm going to lose that. My life, liberty, or property. And so it's just, you take a deep breath and you live to fight another day. And so I've just kind of learned that. And the, um, the nice thing about my business is that in 2012, I started creating recurring revenue. And so when I lost everybody, um, I just, and I just had a, one of our coaching calls with one of our clients who had lost some staff. One of the big benefits is your payroll goes down. And so if you've got recurring revenue that's still coming in, uh, your profit margin goes up. You may have to do more work yourself for a while. Uh, things may be hard. Um, but if you have the recurring revenue model as part of your business, then you at least know you're going to have enough money to come in to keep the lights on. And so that made it much easier for me to go on that cruise because I knew that on the first of the month, I knew what was going to bill from our membership. And I knew on the 15th of the month what was going to bill. So I, I, it wasn't a matter of if I didn't work or someone wasn't working, there wouldn't be any money. Uh, and well, if we were talking in five years from now, do you have an idea, do you have a pathway of where you plan to be at? Yeah, uh, in five years, I'll be doing, right now I do almost all the sales calls and I still do the client relationship management. In five years, uh, I won't be doing the sales calls or the uh, most of the client management. 
except for clients that I just want to spend time with. Uh, at that point, we will have brought on more people in-house that will be able to manage those relationships and do the sales so that I can be out speaking to larger groups and doing more things like podcasts. The, um, my mission is to help 10,000 small business owners shatterproof their businesses, and I cannot do that one-to-one. So I've got to get out in front of people like this so that I can help people understand that they need to be proactive with the legal side of their business um, or it will catch up to them. Are there common mistakes that um, small business owners make uh, when it's when you're talking about uh, uh, legal stuff? Yeah, and, and the first one is that they don't have the, the they don't have a lawyer. Uh, they've not they've not taken the time to form that relationship, have the structure set up for how we pay you if there's a problem. If I have a question, what do we do? They haven't done that, and so they run into legal issues all the time, and they have to flip a coin dollar friend or Google it uh, because they don't have that set up and it's very expensive to do when you've got an emergency. So step one is make sure you have that relationship set up correctly. And it's someone that understands how to work a small business on. And then the second, the second thing that I see a lot of is that people aren't operating out of the right entity structure. Uh, I still see a lot of sole proprietors, which is crazy to me in 2023 that, someone still run their business as a self-proprietorship. I met with the guy last week that has been doing it for 20 years. Um, but you've got to, you've got to get a legal entity for your main business operation. If you have a lot of hard assets, like if you're a construction company and have equipment, uh, if you're an HVAC company and have uh, vans that you're, you know, all your people are in, those need to be in a different company than your actual operating company. So that they're not exposed to the liability of your operating company. And people, aren't doing those things that aren't difficult, um, but you need someone that can coach you through it and then set it up for you. And the third thing is they don't have, uh, they're not doing everything in writing. So they're still doing handshake deals. They're doing, maybe they'll do a written quote and the customer will sign the quote, but there's no terms uh, and conditions for the quote. So there's no, uh, there's nothing for them to fall back on if the job doesn't go the way they thought it was going to, or they don't get paid. And so that's the another big mistake. And then I guess maybe the last one is that the small business owners don't uh, respect intellectual property. They don't respect theirs, and that they don't make sure that their brand is protected, like your brand, Road to Growth. Um, they don't, they don't make sure they can own it. They don't trademark it. And then they're uh, cavalier with other people's intellectual property and that they'll use images, um, audio things uh, on their websites, for instance, that they don't have permission to use. And then they'll understand why they get demand letters saying, hey, you're using my stuff out and it's a violation of my copyright and you owe me $10,000. So those, I would say, are the five big mistakes that I see over and over. And I don't know if you're able to say it or even in broad terms or how legally you're even able to talk about it, but that, that idea of copyright infringement, right? Someone else's um, pictures, videos, things like that. I know I've, I've talked to people that have supposedly gone to conferences and things like that, where if it's put into a funny manner or something like that, they're able to use it. Or if they're voicing over or changing it enough, they're able to use that content. I mean, is there a rule of thumb or is it just basically so no, so new in that kind of process that it's still kind of getting well, figured out? 
I mean, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a doctrine of fair use uh, where you can use things for educational purposes, um, but it can't have any economic benefit. So most of most people listening to us, that doesn't work for them. Um, then you've got parody, where maybe you're making a political commentary or some kind of commentary on the other a copyrighted work where you're remixing it, redoing it. Uh, you can use a, a very limited portion of things for that purpose, uh, but that gets really tough. And so basically, anytime you're going to use someone else's creation, whether it's audio or visual, you, you just need to have the, the permission to do so. Using it without permission, there's, there's not a defense. Uh, unfortunately, there's not an oops defense with intellectual property infringement. It's just you're guilty. Um, and sometimes it's not even you. you almost none of us completely build our own websites anymore. We're paying someone to do it. And they're putting the pretty pictures on there. Well, if they're if they're not getting the license to use those pictures, you're the one that's infringing, not them. Uh, and if you don't have a contract with them that requires them to do that, then you're up a creek. And I see that over and over again. And so it's a it's just one of these areas where you just have to be aware of it, um, and you need to train if you have a team, your team on what they can and can't use uh, and how they can use it because all of a sudden you're in trouble. And then if you've got stuff, like if, you're, if you are creating uh, long form video, if you're, if, you're create, if you're writing books, uh, if you're doing online courses, you need to register those with the United States Copyright Office so that you can enforce your rights. I've seen uh, big name people that, if I said their name, you would, you got, everyone, the audience would know who we're talking about, uh, put great online courses together someone buy that course uh, and then take it and start using the course as if it's their own. And you, the only way to stop them is to go back and register that copyright, go through that, and then you can come back and file, an, file a copyright infringement claim. So it's uh, intellectual property is a little bit complicated, uh, but if you're in small business now, you kind of have to know, you have to have some understanding about it. And again, that's where it's really important to have some legal counsel on your side so that you can ask questions about, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Is it okay? And, and just throwing this in there. I mean, if you five, it was on Fiverr the other day. If you haven't been on Fiverr for small businesses, it's really even avenue for yep. listening. I was on yep. the other day and I was talking to someone about some content stuff. And I was like, have you got permission for all these? I got like, oh, some of them I got permission for. I was like, all right, I got to steer away from this, but I mean, you look at how many sales they've already done. You're like, wow, that's a lot of sales or there could be some avenues where people get in trouble. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, thank you. Thank sure. you so much for, for being here today. What's the what's the process? What's the best way, uh, Scott, for people getting trying to get more information? If they have questions, um, what's the best way of them getting more information from you? Yeah. So the best way probably is to go to our website, reblaw.com, R-E-I-B-L-A-W.com forward slash road to growth and we'll have a special page there for the listeners where they can book a free what i call laser legal coaching session with me so we can see if there's anything that i can do to help you uh shatterproof your business in that, in that 20 minutes no obligation and then uh you can also download our free ebook is your business shatterproof the second way is on instagram at the scott reed we do we release reels almost daily with legal tips and tricks that you guys can apply immediately to your business, totally free. 
uh, and would love to see you on there and interact with you. Oh, I, I know for myself, I'll be uh, following you if I'm not already, but I'll be following you guys. I mean, <laughs> lawsuits are not fun. Be in front of the curve because you don't want to be behind it if you're behind it. Uh, it's a lot of time, especially <laughs> the worst pain is when you get that phone call from your, your attorney yep. thinking everything's done. And go, oh, no, we're still doing that. You're like, ah, oh, gosh, all right. So be ahead of the curve. Thank <laughs> you, uh, Scott, yep. for being here. Hopefully everyone listening got some great nuggets. Uh, please subscribe, please share, and uh, go find Scott. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.